Well, yesterday we learned more than 70 Tennessee House Republicans are now asking Governor Bill Lee to call a special session to address local government's responses to COVID-19. In the letter to the governor, the lawmakers say they would, quote, address misdirected and mandated responses to COVID-19 by local entities and officials during this special session. Knox County Representative Jason Zachary is among those calling for the special session. And he joins us now on Yarbrough. Representative uh, Zachary, good to have you in. How have you been, sir? It's been a while. It has been a while, man. It's good to be on with you, Bob. Thanks for having me. You got it. Thanks for uh, coming on on such short notice. In layman's terms, this special session that you're requesting is all about what? Special session is about ensuring the freedom and liberty of the people of our state. Uh, Bob, we have literally crammed 17 months of flattened our 15 days to flatten the curve has now extended into 17 months and there reaches a point where we were all everybody i think everybody was in for the 15 days we didn't really know what we were up against and now we've reached this point where government continues to say hey it's for your own good it's for your own safety and we when we begin to see places like new york who in september will be implementing the requirement for you to show your papers to enter a restaurant and certain facilities we have gone way too far. And so this this is about ensuring Tennessee remains a, uh, a destination state, remains the best place to work, live, and raise a family, and ensure the constitutional liberties we're entrusted with, or we're entrusted with as elected leaders, that we ensure we protect those. I took an oath to do that. And, and, and people seem to forget sometimes freedom is a little messy. Sometimes individual liberty and the republic that we are, this unique experiment we are as America, is a little bit messy. And sometimes there's, there's things that come with freedom and liberty that just can make people uncomfortable. But that's the reality of who we are. And so this special session is to ensure that parents get to make the decisions for their children, raise their children how they see fit, to ensure that people aren't uh, removed from their jobs or forced to take a, a vaccine, an experimental vaccine that still doesn't have FDA approval, that they're forced to do that versus they're forced to make a decision about their job or the vaccine. There's so many things that we need to address and look at, and we need to be together to be able to do that. And and I've, I've gotten more emails, phone calls, and texts over the last two weeks than at any time since session ended. And I'm getting them from all over the state. And there's just a real concern that when are we going to stop based on the fact that most people feel we've, we're not at, no longer in a pandemic. And the hospitalization and the deaths in Knox County specifically point to that. If you get this special session and if you pass the legislation that you're hoping to pass, what changes? What does it specifically do? Well, there, the legislation, no one has seen legislation. I was actually at the Capitol yesterday um, uh, texting and going back and forth with certain with uh, different legislators. I talked with the speaker a few times. I met with his staff. And it's really just thoughts. And, and they're kind of encapsulated in our call and our letter to the governor asking him to call that special session. But again, primarily, it is it, it has been about masks and the freedom parents want to have. If you want to mask your kid, you want to put seven masks on your kid, man, mask them all day long. That's your right as a parent. But for us to now say, for for local entities, health departments specifically, and then some school boards to say that you have to mask your kid and put a mask over their face when they are literally at no risk from COVID, 
I have a serious problem with that. Parents should be able to choose. And we have this narrative right now, Bob, that, you know, children are dying from COVID, that children's hospital is filled up. Our ICUs are filled up with COVID. That is not the case. I talked to Dr. Piercy on Tuesday night. She actually references this in her April 6th press conference. You can look it up on YouTube. ICUs and, and children's hospitals are not filled up with children with COVID. Primarily, it's because of RSV. And, we've, and she said, we've never seen RSV like this because we had things shut down, because children have been wearing masks. And now that they're out and about, the sickness that children are just susceptible and they're going to get this sickness. But let me just quickly say, part of the narrative, too, is that children are dying and cases are completely out of control for children in Knox County. That is simply not the case. Before we jumped on, I pulled up the Knox County Health Department website. As of yesterday, when these numbers were updated, throughout the pandemic for 17 months, 30 children, 17 and under, have been hospitalized, zero deaths in Knox County. So you can spin a negative all you want, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Cases at this point are something that, that we obviously look at, but the focus is hospitalization and deaths. Right now in Knox County, Knox County Health Department website, no deaths 17 and under. And Bob, for that matter, 45 to 18, there only have only been 203 people hospitalized and 15 deaths in the last 18, 17, 18 months. Now, every life is precious, and I feel for those 15, those 15 people and the families that passed away. But to say we shut down the world and lose our liberty for something that has killed 100, 122 people in 17 months in Knox County, 64 and under, when more children have died from 800 plus have died from pneumonia in the United States, uh, 2,000 in car wrecks, 1,000 for drowning, 331 children, 17 and under, have died from COVID in the United States. We have to get a good perspective on this. Well, Representative Zachary, I know you've heard the counter to that is that, hey, yeah, but um, we don't choose to do things that lead us to COVID. If we're out and about and you aren't practicing social distancing and things like that, you're putting me at risk and I don't have a choice in that matter. How do you respond to that argument? How about the guy who smokes like a chimney who I don't have any say over and I have to breathe in his secondhand smoke or the guy that's driving down the interstate at 105 miles an hour, 85 miles an hour, or the guy that's been drinking and drive all these various things. I mean, or the flu, Bob, I, I find it, I find it incredibly amazing that we we're not having any conversation about the flu COVID according to the numbers in Knox County, thankfully, does not go after our children. But the flu kills thousands and thousands of children every single year. But yet we've never had a conversation about the flu or wearing 14 masks on your face and putting a hazmat suit on for the flu. And I'm not saying that COVID is not something to take seriously. Everything, SARS from 2010, that killed way more people than, than COVID has killed. They're all things to take seriously. But we live in the United States of America, People have the freedom that they people have unalienable rights that are guaranteed. And the Constitution makes it clear that we have certain liberties. No one else in the world has those. There's a reason everybody wants to come here. And we have to, as a government official, I took an oath to protect those. And again, sometimes it's messy. But if we're going to do this for COVID, then we got to do it for the flu. We got to knock out smoking. We got to just take we got to stop uh, people from eating Krispy Kreme because heart disease is the number one killer. No one is talking about 
hey, how about we exercise more? How about we have healthy eating habits? How about we take vitamins? No one wants to have that conversation. When UT and Covenant tell me that 80% of the patients they see that are hospitalized from COVID are either obese or have a comorbidity. Again, we have to have a proper perspective on this and stop being driven by fear because there's a risk with everything. You and I are more likely to die from a car wreck than we are COVID. Do you anticipate the governor will, in fact, call a special session? I do, Bob. I do anticipate that. When you have 73, there are 73 Republicans in the Tennessee House, and when you have 73 Republicans unanimously sign a letter asking him to call a special session, um, that that sends a strong signal. Now, the Senate has not submitted their letter yet. I don't know if they're going to submit a letter for us to automatically call it. It would need two-thirds in the House and two-thirds in the Senate to call it, and that would automatically call it, and the governor would have to issue the call. But if we don't have two-thirds in the Senate provide that letter with those the proper number of signatures, I think it's 23 in the Senate, they need 23 people to sign on, then it's at the governor's discretion. Uh, but I think that when you have the support that you have from the House, and I know there is support in the Senate, and I don't know if it's two-thirds, but I've talked to enough of them to know there is support. I, I do feel like he'll call it. Um, I really do. And I I would anticipate maybe the first, second, third week of September is when that special session would happen. Uh, Recently, we know this all too well here in East Tennessee, specifically Knox County. The Board of Health here in Knox County powers removed. They're now uh, an advisory committee. Now possibly the school board and other local entities could lose their power regarding COVID uh, mandates. Ultimately, who, if anyone, should be responsible for COVID decisions in communities? Yeah, yeah, really good question, Bob. And, and I, I, all of us want our local elected officials empowered to make decisions. But unfortunately, when we reach a point where our local elected officials are not listening People come to us as the state legislature. I mean, the, the states created the federal government. The states created local government. We're the ones that make the law for the state and govern the local bodies. And so the recourse of the people of our state are when they do not feel like they're being heard, they come to us. Now, let me with that important preface here. I want to give kudos to Mayor Jacobs, to our county commission. And, man, our school board last night standing up for parents' rights Susan Horn, who's the chair, did an awesome job. Patty Bounds, Christy Christie, Betsy Henderson, Mike McMillan, they voted with parents. They voted to say, you know what, parents know best for their kids. Let's empower them. And, Bob, I'm so proud of them because out of the, out of the big four counties, and I take this as a badge of honor, we are the one county that said, you know what, we're going to trust our parents. We're going to let our parents make the best decision possible. Again, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. But every parent has the right to make that decision for their child. And they are, we have empowered them that our, our school board last night did an awesome job. But unfortunately, whether it's Williamson County, Shelby County, Henry County, I've had people from all over the state reaching out saying, please help us because they're not listening to us. The other night at Williamson County, which is a, a strong Republican county, there were over a thousand people that showed up at that meeting and they still voted to mask their children anyway. And so, again, when when the people have no other recourse, they come to us. And I think the response has been overwhelming. Please, please, please help us because we continue to go down this road and it has to stop somewhere. How surprised were you with uh, last night's vote by the Knox County School Board? I I, honestly, Bob, I wasn't surprised because um, I try to stay really engaged just to be a resource 
to our local electeds, and I had talked to most of them, and I thought I had a pretty good feel. I think, our, again, our chair, Susan Horn, has been very adamant and, and been steadfast in her leadership, and Bob Thomas, I appreciate Bob so much. He has just, he's been awesome the last two meetings, um, and I've talked to administrators, not just talking to the people on our school board and, uh, and, and Superintendent Thomas. I've talked to uh, our principals. I've talked to teachers. I, I literally was in my Capitol office yesterday reading emails from teachers saying, please do not share my information. I don't want anyone to know I emailed you, but we, can, we do not need masks. We do not need COVID restrictions. We have to let these children be children because people have a fear of a retribution, and it's unfortunate that it's reached that point. But um, again, I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails I've received. And so again, I'm just thankful for our local leadership, county commission, uh, school board, and then Mayor Jacobs is just, man, he's been awesome. I looked up uh, in a variety, a couple of different websites, and they're basically, they kind of get to the same point here. What are the duties of a school board? And among the things you'll see listed are adopt goals, set priorities, adopt policies, hire, evaluate the superintendent, adopt a budget, communication with the community. Nothing about dealing with health issues. How big of a gray area do you think it is for school boards to get involved in health issues? Well, I think that that's one of the primary reasons we have to go back, Bob. That's a great question because there is a gray area. And when there is a gray area where there's any kind of vacuum, someone is going to step in to fill that vacuum. And so we have to be really, really clear in legislation. And sometimes we're not. I mean, that's been the case. I've been in the legislature. It's my fourth term. And so much of what we do, the health boards being a perfect example, that was on the board since the 80s. I was You were good enough to have me on your show a couple of times to talk about that. And it was just kind of an unintended consequence that they had this incredible vast power no one knew about until a pandemic hits. And so we had to go in and fix it. And we did. And so this is the same thing with a school board is there's just this been this gray area. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Our law director, David Buke, has kind of weighed in. And does the health director, does uh, Dr. Buchanan have it? Is it the school board? And again, it just creates all this finger pointing and someone steps up and eventually says, you know what, we'll do it or Legal says you have, you know, you can do this, and then legal in Shelby County tells them something different. All that being said, that's when we got to step in and clear it up. Okay, uh, Representative uh, Jason Zachary got a handful of phone calls with a couple of questions and responses. Bill, you're up first, and uh, good morning. You're on with Representative Zachary. Good morning, Uh, Representative Zachary. You you made a comment that was so out of whack I couldn't believe it. You said that more people died from SARS than from uh, uh, COVID. As a matter of fact, we've lost more people from COVID than we did in World War II. And that was considered a tragedy by everybody. Uh, Secondly, the local government, you know, Republicans always claim local government is the way to go. Well, you take away local government's power when you don't when you all at the state level don't like it. Well the truth is that local people have a right to make the decision. So I'm kind of offended by your inaccuracies and your uh, hypocrisy. Hey th- thanks for your call. And when we were talking about children, so I was referencing more children, um, and then we have a difference of opinion. You're obviously a Democrat and you're entitled to your opinion and we differ on our opinions. Joe, you're up next. You're on with Representative Zachary. Good morning, sir. 
Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Representative. I, I have a question. Um, I, I'm, I'm a Republican, so you don't have to worry about getting bashed on this phone <laughs> call. Um, just saying. Um, uh, you're talking about passing legislation for COVID mandates. Is this going to also include that vaccine mandate? Because, honestly, I am more afraid of that vaccine than I am the COVID, and that's the truth. Great question. Yes, sir. Thank you. So it's important to remember that House Bill 575, we passed, we, we banned vaccine passports in the state. No governmental entity can force a business to require that. No governmental entity can ask you for proof of vaccination. That includes schools, both K through 12 and higher ed. So we passed that. The conversation now, and this was part of a conversation I was in, the meetings I was in yesterday and that conversation uh, were related to these co- the uh, COVID requirements and mandates that employers are putting on employees for a condition of employment. And then we're also having the conversation of if a business were to require you to, pre- to present your papers, for lack of a better term, to enter their establishment. That one is a little, that one is one that is way more contentious. And, I, and I'd be really transparent with your listeners, Bob. I, I struggle with that because as a free market Republican, if, if, if Sally Sue's uh, bakery says, you know what, you got to have your papers to come in here, then that's her right to do that as a business owner. And then the market will respond. And if people don't want to go in, they don't have to, then go somewhere else. But in terms of saying that you have to have a COVID vaccine to be employed here, you begin to look at, uh, you uh, begin to uh, uh, look at uh, religious exemptions, um, health exemptions. You, it, it really, I've heard some people make the case in terms of just straight discri- medical discrimination. And so, man, that we've got, we've got some time before special session. We'll actually go into special session. And so those are the things that we're talking about as we head into it, as we look at legislation. Representative, what are the possibilities of any legal action for any type of legislation that comes out of the special session? Uh, Bob, any t- nowadays, unfortunately, every piece of legislation that is passed, it, whether it's our state or any other state, is open to some sort of lawsuit because now uh, we've reached the point where the uh, the third branch of government has been given this vast power, and any time a, a judge in a state rules, and it has nationwide implication, and that's a whole other conversation. But I just think any time we pass legislation, there's always a uh, there's always a risk for a lawsuit. Executive Order eighty three. I've had so many people. <laughs> Send me articles, send me um, social media comments about Executive Order 83. And the words that I see in these articles are internment camps and the National Guard is going to go and force this and force that. And so I did what <laughs> what I wish everyone would do, which is go find the executive order and read through it. And I can't find anything close to what's being presented in some arenas. What's in Executive Order 83? Yeah, <laughs> thank you for asking, Bob. I have probably gotten more emails about that. And since it came out Friday, since Saturday, I've probably got more emails about that than anything else this, else this year because we have various groups that have jumped in to try to fundraise on this and spin a narrative that is simply not accurate. Um, the, the language used, in the, and I confirmed this with Commissioner Piercy a couple of nights ago, the language used in Executive Order 83 is basically the exact same language that, we, that the governor has used in other executive orders. And it basically removes barriers 
drops regulations, and provides incredible flexibility for the medical community to be able to treat any kind of coming uh, COVID surge. And the part that gave everyone heartburn that a bunch of groups have jumped on to start claiming that that the governor's going to throw people in internment camps and set up barbed wire and put put COVID patients in, in, in fences is there's a section in there about quarantining and uh, construction. I think it may not use the word construction, but it's basically allowing uh, Park West, allowing University of Tennessee to go out of their walls and construct a facility to handle overflow. Uh, you remember last year the pictures that the Tennessean published uh, of Vandy Hospital. They actually did that, I believe it was in their parking garage. Um, so there, that's all that means. It's been blown way out of proportion. Now I'll say the communication, it was poorly communicated. We didn't know about it. Unfortunately, no one in the executive branch gave us a heads up. So I literally had no way to combat that. And we couldn't get I couldn't get a hold of anybody until uh, until Monday. And so I was able to start responding. But that's that definitely that was definitely a problem because it was not communicated well. There should have been some communication on the front end. Just, hey, heads up, Tennesseans. This is why we're doing it. Nothing that we haven't already done. It just we just have some needed flexibility. So, yeah, that was blown way out of proportion. But if anyone knows anything about how we govern in Tennessee, we ain't going to let anybody be pulled into a camp or taken against their will. That That's just not going to happen. Yeah. I found it in the executive order. It's Section 18, and it's titled Temporary Quarantine and Isolation Facilities May Be Constructed. So if you want to read, and it's, yep. not, it's not that long of a read, Section 18 either. So if you want to check that out uh, for yourself, please find that executive order uh, 83, and it's number 18 in that. Thanks for clearing that up. All right, a few more phone sure. calls. Jim, you're up next here on with uh, Representative Zachary. Good morning, Jim. Uh, good morning, Representative Zachary and Bob. Uh, I would like you to consider the two sides to the COVID thing and teachers and students. There are teachers in the county that go from school to school and have the opportunity to pass this around. Uh, just consider their outlook on this and talk to them. I know of some that do this, and they are for masks. Now, me, I'm not one way or the other. I am just for whatever the consensus is. Just please consider the teachers in this. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you for your comments. And that's a, that is a really good point. I'm married to a teacher. My, t my wife teaches middle school. Um, and the good thing is every teacher, if they choose to do so, can be vaccinated. Unfortunately, we're learning now that the vaccine doesn't stop anybody from spreading it. You can still be asymptomatic, vaccinated, and still spread, which I think, if, again, well, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not a medical expert, but um, I, I agree. And, and the thing, the right thing, and again, teacher can be vaccinated. A teacher can wear a mask. They can maintain that six foot of distance. But I'll tell you again, and I'll just, I'll speak from the Zachary family talking to my wife. She is willing to hug on children, love children, and invest in children because I don't think we understand, many do not understand, the emotional and economic toll this last 17 months has taken on many, taken, has taken on our children. I'm talking all the way from seniors in high school that missed out on so much, all the way down to the smallest kids. Uh, verbally what it's done, as I've talked to elementary teachers, the inability to communicate well in a mask, and then the recent scores that we had, the proficiency scores that we came, that we had, that were released a couple of weeks ago, how devastating it's been on just the learning and educational aspect of our children. 
it's it's time they need some certainty they need to see smiling faces they need normalcy our children need this for, for their future they need this and again parents need to be equipped which we did not kind of need to make those decisions but yeah regarding teachers i hear from them all the time um, they can be vaccinated they can be masked they can wash their hands they can maintain that distance and they're adults that can make those responsible choices are you and your wife vaccinated uh, no, Bob, I'm not. No. All right. It's Representative and, Jason. And I will say, yes. And I'll say, too, that my whole family has had COVID, um, and so we have the natural immunity. But, uh, yeah, I have no problem telling uh, no, I'm not. Uh, Lee, you're up next here on with Representative uh, Jason Zachary. Good morning. Hey, Bob. Jason, how are you? I'm good, man. Thank you. Hey, real quickly, uh you were talking about the kids. A big British study just came out, and it was just horrible information we get in our United States media anymore. Uh, kids very seldom get it, and they certainly are not spreaders. And so we've had this idea that these kids are out there spreading it all over. And the Brits spent all this time and money to actually study school kids, and it's just not the truth. So anyway, I wanted to point that out. Um what I called you about, and this kind of effect could affect me, my son goes to University of the South at Swanee, which is a private university. And mm-hmm. right as, as of right now, they have not mandated vaccines for kids to go there. They hadn't done it yet. Right. But I did notice that Maryville College has. And here's, here's my point with you. They get that HOPE scholarship money that comes from the state, so they do get state money. So they're not totally just dependent on uh, dollars coming from their kids. Um, And I think that's something that really needs to be looked at, that these universities, private universities that allow Hope Scholarship money, that they'll take that money, but then they don't want to have to follow the rules. So what do you think about that? Is that something you might look at? Fair point. Do you say say my point? I do. Yeah, I mean, I do. And, and that is a fair point. Um, and that is something they're not to consider. Like, not like a private – you mentioned private business. Excuse me for interrupting that because I know you're, you've got more callers. You mentioned private businesses. But here you have an actual private business that's taking in four or five grand a year from Hope Money from the state, from the lottery. So, anyway, uh, what would you say about that? Is that something somebody might bring up or look into? I, I will tell you that we actually have had conversations about that. Any, any entity that receives or benefits from government resources in terms of grants or kind of what you're talking about, the Hope Scholarship, whatever, I'll just tell you there has been a conversation about addressing that because if you are going to participate in government programs, then that does open you up. And no matter, I mean, that's kind of always been the conversation. That's why many nonprofits don't take any government money because it does, then it does open you up to uh, uh, any kind of regulation from government or laws that are passed related to uh, governmental entities. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's worthy of a conversation for sure. Uh, an earlier caller just brought up the point to you, Representative, about some private colleges taking in, in various ways state funds, something to look for there, and then being able to issue mandates too. So a couple of things that's already on the plate for these next uh, sessions, whether they're special or, or the regular sessions. What else yeah. do you anticipate that might be discussed or at least on a priority list uh, regarding the COVID-19 response once the legislature gets together again? 
Yeah, I think one of the things we have to address, and again, was a conversation and meetings I was in yesterday. One of the things we have to address is this question of health directors and health officers in the six independent counties, which again are the big four, Sullivan and Madison. We have the other 89 counties, health departments are all run by the state. Basically all the big metro areas, the big four, Jackson and uh, and the Tri-Cities have their own independent health department. And so uh, statute was murky, as we kind of talked about before, gray area, whatever you want to call it, about health boards, their power. So we took care of that. Now there seems to be a question that is being brought up by uh, law directors, Shelby, Knox County, is that what authority does the health director than the health officer have? I've talked with people in the state. I've talked with Commissioner Piercy. I've talked with legal in the health department. And they make clear from the state's perspective that the health director, health officer is a county employee. For example, here in Knox County, the health director, which is currently Dr. Buchanan, her salary is completely paid for by the county. She's a county employee. But the statute is just, it's not not super clear. And then there's no reference to the six independent counties, just providing that specificity that that our that our friends in the legal community like. So um, I know that there's been some real heartburn in Shelby County specifically because the health department and the health director are just making these decisions and and just rolling with them, and the and the mayor's just kind of going along with whatever. And I know we've you know we've had some some tension here over the last 17 months with Mayor Jacobs and the health department and the health board. So that is one area that if, if Depending on, let me step back, Bob, it's important that people remember, too, everything in a special session has to be under the specific call the governor places. So he could literally go in and say, we are only going to have a special session and all we're going to talk about schools and anything mask related in schools or, and I'm just, I'm just grabbing things out of the air or we're going to talk about all COVID mandates and restrictions related to schools and counties. So I said all that to say it's, it's whatever his call is, you have to be within the box that he draws. It's not just wide open where we can start, start passing legislation like we do when we're there from January to May. So um, it, it all depends on the call, but my hope is that will be one area that's addressed. That's something I'm pushing on because I think we need absolute clarity there. And then obviously you're going to have some, uh, uh, some real conversations about masks in schools, because that's obviously the, the primary reason that this has all uh, uh, been brought to the forefront. And then uh, I think you're also going to have some conversations about uh, taking care of teachers when they're out for COVID, because there's some uh, there's some lack of clarity there. Uh, school closures and segregating students based on vaccination status. I have a real problem with that, and I'm already getting emails from constituents who um, are saying that teachers are asking kids to raise their hand for vaccination status. They're pressuring them to wear masks. That's wrong. That is wrong to do that to a child. They have enough on them right now. Um, And so, again, these are all things we're talking about, but all that being said, just if your listeners would remember, we have to wait for the governor to make the call. And it's important for your listeners, Bob, to engage on this. I mean, every time we the people engage, it changes the trajectory every single time. And part of it, part of the conversation has always been, you know, freedom isn't free. There's a price to pay. And many of us have not had to serve in the military or pay that ultimate price. I'm so thankful for those guys that do. But we're at a point now we got to engage. we got to pay a little bit of price, create a little bit of discomfort, and be engaged in the process. And we're not always going to agree, and there's going to be some tension, man, and that's fine. 
But I think my one of my roles is to educate, empower, and encourage. And one of those that one of the encouragements I would make is listen, reach out to the governor. You got Bob, you got tens of thousands of listeners. Reach out to Governor Lee, 615-741-2001, 615-741-2001. Call his office. Respectfully, kindly say we would ask you to call a special session. We, the people in Knox County, are asking you to do this for us. And they listen, and they're getting tons of calls. Call them and let your opinion be heard. Send an email to the school board. Thank them for what they did last night. Reach out to your elected officials. Man, Bob, we get enough crap. I mean, you people see the garbage that people put on social media. That ain't nothing compared to the, some of the emails I get and the things that we receive. Man, sometimes it's good to engage on a positive and say, hey, thanks for doing this, or keep up the good work, or hey, Governor, we need you. Step up versus, you know, a threatening, you better do this or else. Man, call him and say, Governor, call this. We, the people in Knox County, need you to step up for us. We're asking you to call it. And it makes a difference, man, Bob. We engage, we the people, the government governs at the consent of the governed. It's in the declaration. The government governs at the consent of the governed. Many people aren't consenting to what's going on right now. If you're not consenting, man, you better engage or you don't have any you don't you can't say anything if you're not willing to engage. Representative Zachary, thank you much for your time today. It is greatly appreciated, and I'm sure we will uh, get back together again soon down the road. Thank you. Bob, thanks enough for caring and informing your listeners and having me on, man. I appreciate it.